Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm talking to Cassie Barnard from Embody Health London. Cassie is a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counsellor, passionate about health, nutrition and living a full life. She embraces a positive, non-judgmental attitude in her work with clients and is really curious to understand everyone's unique journey. Now Cassie has a unique combination of skills and she is trained in nutrition, mindfulness and behaviour change and helps clients effectively implement powerful and practical tools to cultivate self-kindness and body acceptance. Cassie grew up in sunny Perth, Western Australia, and she has a really down-to-earth attitude and a kind and caring nature, making anyone feel at ease. Registered with the Health and Care Professions Council, Cassie obtained a Master of Nutrition and Dietetics from Edith Cohen University. She also holds a Diploma in Neurolinguistic Programming, NLP, is a certified intuitive eating counsellor, certified Pilates instructor, and is a Monash or Monash University certified FODMAP clinician. Before establishing Embody Health London, Cassie worked as the lead dietitian at a child and adolescent mental health service, supporting patients with anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, and OSFED. In her spare time, Cassie enjoys bike riding, traveling the world, spending time by the ocean, meditating, relaxing with a good book, and discovering new restaurants in London. She also believes a day well spent includes dancing in the kitchen, singing in the shower, and laughing with her friends. So today, Cassie's on the podcast to talk about all things intuitive eating and when to start introducing these principles in recovery. So I'm so looking forward to speaking to Cassie today. Let's get to the conversation. This episode is brought to you by Mindy Gorman-Plutzer and her Food Freedom Promise. The definition of recovery is to regain what was lost or stolen. Addiction, obsessive thoughts and behaviours rob us of our ability to connect to the deepest part of ourselves. Reframing our belief system, letting go of the thoughts, feelings and behaviours that while once self-soothing are no longer serving us, allows us to create the fully nourished life we are desiring and deserving of. The thing about disordered eating is, it happens in secret. Behind closed doors, someone begins to use food and restrictive or binge eating to control something and protect themselves. From what? Fear, abuse, trauma, emotions. And because it's often a secret, it's hard to get help. There isn't a conversation. But Mindy Gorman-Plutzer is bringing that conversation to a worldwide audience in a huge way. In 2012, she created the Freedom Promise in an effort to help clients transform their relationships with food from one mired in fear and confusion to one that is loving, nourishing and sustainable. She developed a signature system comprised of seven steps, detailed in the self-study course she created for you, jam-packed with bonuses, practical tools and tips, as well as mindset-affirming food for thought. Stop Fearing Food, an unconventional approach to say goodbye to your disordered eating for good, details her experience with not only recovery, but the insanity that precluded any attempts at healing. The program offers an alternative approach to recovery as it's aligned with the principles of functional medicine. All systems are connected, every body is unique, and everything matters. Mindy teaches that in order to fully recover, we must honour the physiology that impacts one's psychology as well as the psychology that's impacting one's physiology. She doesn't prescribe to the all-foods-fit model that is the conventional nutrition protocol for recovery, but guides you to listen to the wisdom of your body so you discover an empowering nutrition and lifestyle protocol that speaks to your unique needs. Mindy believes we all have a birthright to worthiness, 
to love ourselves in a way that's not dependent upon being a certain body type, weight, or at a certain level of health. Your birthright is not about self-esteem, which is often a moving target. It is a powerful knowing that every one of us is empowered, valuable, and has a sacred life. This course is a pathway back to that knowing. It is an invitation to leave behind self-abuse and restriction and move into a life of freedom and purpose. If you're seeking freedom from a relationship with food that's holding you hostage, if you're longing to find your enough, if you're feeling inspired by the possibilities that await you when you create the life you deserve and desire and roll today. Mindy has generously offered a discount exclusive to the podcast listeners. When you enroll in this life-affirming and transformation program, you'll receive a 20% discount the equivalent of 200 US dollars off your investment. So simply register with the code podcast and check out the show notes for the link. Hi, Cassie. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, Harriet. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and have a chat with you today. Great. So Cassie, please could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. Yes. My name is Cassie Barnard. I am a registered dietitian over here living in London and I am the co-founder of Embody Health London. I believed my co-founder Ariana graced herself with your presence a few months ago. So I'm really excited to be chatting with you today and speaking more about the work that we are doing at Embody Health London. As I mentioned, of course, we are registered dietitians and we are also certified intuitive eating counsellors. And we, since the pandemic, have a virtual online practice. So we did have a hot minute of a clinic room for about six weeks pre-pandemic but since then we are completely virtual and as a result of that our clients are now all over the UK all over Europe all over the world in some cases so it's been an absolute privilege and joy to watch that really flourish and bloom and help as many people as possible heal their relationship with food and find food freedom and really instill the sense of it is possible to eat intuitively and trust your body and get to a place where you have total freedom. So that's a bit of a snapshot of what I do. Oh, thanks so much, Cassie. And yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of been one little blessing that's come out of the pandemic amongst the many awful things that so much more help is now offered online and we're reaching so many more people just making that sort of contact with others possible yeah I totally agree I totally agree I think it's actually just sped up time in a way I think virtual healthcare was going to come into our lives at some point in the future I think it's just accelerated that and as a result has made it more accessible and I think it's also nice for people to fit this recovery work or their therapy sessions into their life in just an easier way you know taking away the commute times taking away traffic taking away juggling the schedule you can literally sit in your lounge room, be comfortable, check in, you know, in your pajamas if you want at a time that's convenient for you. And as a result, I think it's made healthcare and therapy just more accessible. Mm, Yeah, no, I think you're so right. And Cassie, what I love about you and Ariana is you're not just kind of straightforward dietitians, are you? Not there's anything (laughs) wrong with that, but you kind of have multi-skills across sort of like neuro-linguistic programming and sort of Pilates, yoga, kind of all areas did you want to say a bit more about that like kind of because I guess you probably initially came to this did you more through the dietetics route and then you have branched out mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah not straightforward dietitians yeah we're, we're a bit wonky shall we say <laughs> <laughs> I love that Harriet yeah definitely I think if anything just as I've progressed throughout my career I've really come to understood the role that I play within the lives of our clients and it's really about facilitating how they think and feel about their body you know it's quite funny when I started my degree at university I actually started off studying psychology as I've always been so drawn towards human behavior I find humans as a species fascinating you know why do we do what we do why do we behave in certain ways how different people um, or just how differently humans can respond to the same trauma or how we very much call on our resilience through really hard times and you know what makes humans so unique and so special I've always been really intrigued by that and so my initial studies was in psychology and throughout that degree I did a elective in nutrition 
And I thought, hmm, this is super interesting. And so I ended up dropping psychology as my major and switched over to nutrition rather, and then ended up doing that degree and then did my master's in dietetics and then became a dietitian. But all the while had this interest at some point in the future marrying the psychology aspect of food with this science of nutrition and how the human body works. And so I did my, you know, general rotations as a new grad dietitian, saw kind of all aspects of dietetics in the hospital system from food service to public health to treating really, really unwell patients as well and realizing that I didn't find those types of roles for me personally overly inspiring. I was more interested in, you know, human behavior and prevention and how do people get to that point. And so I ended up working my way into private practice and quite interestingly, I think it's a really important part of of my story like as a professional I ended up like working in weight loss for the first couple of years in my private practice role which was something that I'm really grateful for as during that time I saw firsthand you know the very much real lived experience of the clients I was working with that they were actually struggling with disordered eating with poor body image with this sense of losing control, not trusting their body, not really understanding nutrition and how the body works. And so I was really seeing this come to light in that practice. And so luckily throughout my time there at that clinic, I was able to really help my clients develop their relationship with food. So it was a really healthy outlook towards food, not so negative and controlling and micromanaging calories. But of course, as you can imagine, after a couple of years at that clinic, I was just really finding that it became to feel a bit icky for me at that practice. And I was thinking that my core values were no longer aligning with that work I was doing. And so I branched out, ended up working again in a hospital setting, working in eating disorders and mental health. And I started seeing clients privately to help them build a healthy relationship with food. And then along the road, Ariana and I was like, hey, we have a very similar interest, a very similar passion, a very similar ethos when that comes to the work that we were doing. And so we ended up starting our business together in Body Health London back in the end of 2019. And I guess you could say the rest is history. But yeah, sorry, just to give you a bit of like backstory there and to answer your question, I I am getting there, I promise. We very much interweave intuitive eating, the role of how people think and feel about their body, how they think and feel about food, their mindset, their connection with their body, mindfulness practices like self-compassion, gratitude, yoga, Pilates, meditation, all onto the work that we do. So it is a very, very much a very holistic approach. Because at the end of the day, we are working with human beings and human beings are really complex and really multifactorial. And we do have to think about different elements when we are looking towards fully healing and fully recovering. So it was a bit of a full circle, I guess you could say. I was very much trained in that standard dietetics way. And then over, you know, lived experience and professional experience just branched out and now have a very holistic approach to the work that we do with our clients. Mm. Well, thank you for sort of talking us through that. And can I just ask you as well about your slight tangent here, but they're kind of the dancing dietitians kind of reels and things that you do as well on Instagram. So obviously that's something that you share with Ariana as well. And can you just say a bit more about that? Because I know it's very engaging and a lot of people love your content. Yeah, of course, of course. We, you know, sometimes I think about things and honestly, it just fell into place. It just happened one day. One of those really boring stories. We didn't have this like creative stroke of genius, unfortunately. It just suddenly fell into place. It was during the pandemic, right? So we just were put into lockdown. It was end of March 2020, I believe. And I was on the phone to my brother and he was like, you guys should go on TikTok. And I said, isn't that for 12-year-olds who do dances? Sounds a bit strange. He's like, just give it a go. You never know, nothing to lose. And we thought, okay, I mean, why not? Let's just give it a go. And way back then, I mean, that was, I mean, not way back then, it was two years ago, but still in the rise of TikTok, I guess there wasn't many healthcare professionals on TikTok at the time. And so as a result, our content became really engaging. 
we both have, I mean, Ariana has more of a dance history than me. I kind of dabbled in dance at school, definitely don't have any formal training. And so we ended up just learning some of the dances that went viral, did the dance trends. And then suddenly people were loving the educational piece of what we had to say alongside the upbeat dance and music. And it just seemed to land really well. And then one thing led to another and we were known as the dancing dietitians and appointed as mental health ambassadors on TikTok. So honestly, you never know where life can take you. And here I am as a dancing dietitian, spreading evidence-based nutrition advice throughout TikTok and now, of course, Instagram Reels. Mm. Oh, lovely. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think your dancing really does sort of capture the energy of both yourself and Ariana and your team. And I think it's really lovely. I think, you know, well done for doing that. I think, you know, really engaging content. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's definitely a bit scary putting yourself out there. And if anything, what I learned is that people want the information, they want to you know, feel heard and understood. And it was just such a great way to get the message out to more people. So thanks, Harry. I really appreciate that. So Cassie, can I just ask you a nosy question? Like, obviously, you're from Perth, Australia, and you are now in the UK. And you sound to me as though you're pretty settled here. So can I ask you as well, what inspired you to come across to the UK in the first place? Mm, I get this question all the time. (laughs) like what are you doing here (laughs) so sunny well I was actually born in London my parents lived here for three years when they were newly married they had me and then they thought "Mm, yeah too cold went back to Perth and then I grew up in Perth ever since but as a result I have always I mean maybe that's the reason I've always had some sort of pull towards London I found it to be a really intriguing city a city that was very well connected, full of opportunity, full of interesting dynamic cultures and different scenes. And I just always thought, why not? It was always very easy for me because I have a British passport. So thanks, mum and dad, for that one. So I had the ability to move over here quite easily. So I thought, why not? I want to go and travel Europe, live abroad, really strengthen my sense of independence and autonomy away from that family system. And I came over here, ooh, it was 2017, so about five years ago now. And I thought I'd give it a go, give it two years, see how you find it. And I haven't left. (laughs) So currently I'm still here. I, of course, now have my business in Body Health London here with Ariana and we are based in London. And I also met a British partner, much to my mum's, like, (laughs) she was like, you're going to meet a a British man and never come back. And I was like, no, I won't. But she was right. Here I am. (laughs) Oh, thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Of course, of course. (laughs) So, Cassie, I know like the reason that we've got you on here today is to sort of hear a bit more about intuitive eating principles. Because I know sort of you and sure, you know, I know myself, we have more and more people kind of coming into therapy and really wanting to embrace intuitive eating principles. But, you know, perhaps when they first come in, they might be struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating. You know, I guess it's helpful to explore, isn't it, kind of at what point it might be useful to start embracing some of those principles and how to begin to do that. So I guess I just wondered if we could kick off with, could you just explain a little bit for anyone who's not aware of intuitive eating principles, could you just give us a little bit of background, please? Yes, of course. So I am a certified intuitive eating counsellor and I had the pleasure of being trained by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, who of course are the authors of Intuitive Eating, first published way back then in 1995. So it's been around for a while. It's recently gained some traction because it is now an evidence-based approach. There are now over 140 scientific papers, you know, backing the approach of, of intuitive eating for a healthy relationship with food and body and eating disorder recovery. So think of intuitive eating as a self-care eating framework. And I actually stole this definition from Elise, who, of course, I was mentored and supervised by throughout my training. And I describe intuitive eating as this dynamic interplay between our instincts, our emotions, and our thought patterns. And if I can just break that down, we think about different elements of the brain that we call upon throughout learning how to eat intuitively. This will make a bit more sense in just a moment. So 
one part of the brain we call that reptilian brain and that is that very like primitive instinctive survival part of us you know that keeps us alive think of it as like the hunger and fullness sensations that we might feel we may or may not feel based on where we are in our journey but really think about that instinctive reptilian brain the second part of the brain is what we call the limbic part of our brain. And think of it as like the mammalian part. It's very much about our emotions and also our social behaviors and our social interactions. Now, we can think about this as like we all probably have a pet. You know, I have a pet growing up. I had a pet dog and also a pet rabbit. You know, our pets have emotions. You know, when I left my dog at home, he was so sad and would cry and get really, really upset. And then when I got home, he's so excited. It's like this unconditional love. So that's that emotional part of our brain. And then, of course, us humans, which makes us the most superior animal on this planet, is our neocortex. And that is the cognitive or the thinking part of our brain. And so intuitive eating is that dynamic interplay between all three of these parts, the instinctive, the emotions, and our thoughts. And so when we think about someone coming to us who has a history of an eating disorder or disordered eating, it's highly likely that their hunger and their fullness cues are slightly off kilter. Perhaps they might get a false sense of fullness because their digestive tract has slowed down from undernourishment. Maybe they have a really chaotic, really stressful life, so their hunger cues are muted. And so in the early stages, we may not be really able to trust our hunger and fullness sensations, but that's what we can call upon that higher level of thinking, that neocortex, and really think about how do we integrate eating in a way that feels perhaps a bit mechanical at first, but honoring those sensations and honoring our body's needs for nutrition, so carbohydrates, proteins, and fats on a really consistent basis with the outcome and the motivation of eventually getting back to a place where we can instinctively trust those hunger and fullness sensations. So that's the way I like to really think about intuitive eating. It's a dynamic interplay. It's not the hunger and fullness diet. It's very much misinterpreted on social media for sure, but it's a lot more complex than that. Of course, the outcome is to get to a place where we fully trust our body, listen to our signals, eat according to how we feel, but that might not be the reality at first. And so that's where intuitive eating can really come into play at that stage of your journey as we begin to understand how our body works and then respond appropriately. I thank you for that overview. And so if someone comes into sort of therapy or kind of working with yourselves and they are just really very out of touch with their body, would you be encouraging them perhaps before they're kind of like jumping right into some more intuitive eating to sort of just practice kind of like kind of regular eating, stabilizing blood sugar kind of in a way and more, more like kind of following a meal plan or a kind of more regimented approach in those earlier days? Mm. Like always, it depends. <laughs> There's no black and white answer. But of course, that number one priority when we work with clients is nourishment. Are you getting in enough nutrition? Because often, you know, whoever we work with, whether they are in a restrictive eating disorder or they suffer with binge eating disorder, emotional eating, every client that we work with is in a state of semi-starvation. And we mm. need to make sure we're getting enough nutrition on a consistent basis so that your hormones stabilize, your hypothalamus knows you're getting enough nutrition coming in so it can calm down and really help you stabilize and maintain homeostasis. And so that's where we would rely on that higher level of thinking, that neocortex. So like, okay, I'm not really hungry. I don't really have sensations of hunger and fullness at the moment, but I know I need to eat for these reasons. And that might be to get my period back to meet my energy requirements, to sustain me throughout the day when I go for my training in the evening, to improve my concentration, to strengthen my bones, you know, whatever that motivation might be, it's really getting them on a regular eating pattern first. Absolutely. But again, with the end outcome, with that motivation of this is only temporary to get us mm. to a place where we can eventually begin to really trust those sensations. Because the truth of the matter is, when we begin renourishment, when we begin nutrition rehabilitation on a consistent basis, the sensations do come back, but they only come back over time and through consistency. Mm. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And obviously, with intuitive eating principles, there are 10 of them. And when you're working with a client, would you sort of 
start with sort of some principles or like, you know, do you kind of like work broadly across them all? Or how do you kind of like work with the individual principles as you're supporting a client? Yes, such a great question. Again, it depends. (laughs) I know it's such a boring answer, but I do want to, you know, give your listeners something to work from here. Now, of course, the first place that I start with all of my clients is the very first principle, and that is rejecting the diet mentality. The reason being is when we are looking to healing our relationship with food, it's very important that we begin to work towards becoming internally referenced and If we are very much stuck in the diet mentality, we have diet culture, you know, luring us in, which it can very much do in all different ways. It's going to be very difficult to tap into those internal innate signals down the line. And so I often explore with my clients some really important reflective questions. And that is something along the lines of, you know, how has dieting interfered with your life? How is your eating disorder now interfering with your life? What has it cost you? What are the consequences of not addressing your relationship with food? What will you lose? And equally, if you do heal your relationship with food, what will you gain? What's important to you about making these changes? And then, you know, we really explore some of the feelings that come up because it's really common to have a cocktail of emotions when we begin this journey. It's confusing, it's overwhelming, but equally, we might feel angry. We might have heightened anxiety. We might feel like the sense of hopelessness in a way. And this is where in these early stages, it's really important to understand why dieting doesn't work and how damaging diet culture is, because it can feel very easy in the short term to alleviate that heightened anxiety to revert back to a disordered eating habit or a disordered behavior. And so having a very in-depth understanding of what's motivating you to make these changes? What are you hoping to achieve? What do you want your life to look like? What's truly important to you deep in your heart? You know, really getting to the crux of it in those early stages is fundamental because we're going to have difficult days and, you know, understanding the dangers of diet culture, understanding it's a social justice movement as well. You know, it's very complex talking about weight stigma, fat phobia. Once you see this, and this is probably my own personal opinion, but I believe many people share this as well. Once you see the damage of diet culture, you can't unsee it. And Mm. that can be really helpful for people to understand, you know, you are not broken. (laughs) You've done nothing wrong. It's the fault of diet culture. And so that's where I definitely start with clients, you know, understanding that it's not their fault. Their body's not broken. We would explore things like weight cycling and how dieting has damaged their body or has done damage to their body, to their emotions, their physical well-being. So they can they really have enough evidence as to why they're doing this. And we just, you know, provide the tools and provide the guidance to help them get there. Because once you have that strong sense of motivation, nothing stops you. <laughs> you know, people want to have pleasure in their life. They want to have satisfaction. And so then that would bring me to the next element I would focus on. And that would be more around satisfaction. So I wouldn't so much go from principle one to 10 with clients. I would definitely focus on rejecting their diet mentality. That's really important. And then working on satisfaction. You know, how can we boost pleasure in your life? What does a satisfying eating experience look like, sound like? Do you have any idea? You know, let's say, for example, like understanding what does satisfying hunger feel like? What does satisfying fullness feel like? I might use the example of, have you ever been in a really long car journey and the service station you get to is closed and you're like, oh shoot, now I have nothing to eat. And you've got three or four hours left on your really long car journey. And so you might become in that state really uncomfortably hungry. And so when you do eventually eat, Think of it like a pendulum swinging from left to right. You've swung so far left into the uncomfortable hunger phase that you're going to, at the end of the day, swing so far right to the uncomfortable fullness phase because that is like compulsive, out of control eating. And that's not satisfying, right? So just using these examples, these real life examples of what does a satisfying eating experience look like and how can we begin to bring in more satisfaction to your life? 
So that's where I would start. And of course, we would go through, you know, challenging the food police. So how do you think and feel about food? Do you have any food rules? Do you think food is good and bad? And then do you think you're good or bad for eating those foods? You know, really reducing the morality we place on food and making peace with food. So, you know, food is at the end of the day, what we call emotionally equivalent. Sure, it might not be nutritionally equivalent, but getting to a place where you feel that you're not a good or bad person for eating an apple pie versus an apple, it says nothing about your character. It's more about that emotional response we have to food. I mean, the list goes on, Harry, and of mm. course, you're fully aware that this is very complex and this can take you know, weeks and weeks and weeks of sessions with clients. There's a general overview. I would say rejecting the diet mentality and then working towards boosting satisfaction in life. Mm. No, lovely. Thank you for sharing that. And it sounds like when you're doing that rejecting the diet mentality work, you're really working on people's motivation, aren't you? And exploring that ambivalence about change and really kind of digging deep and starting to help them explore their values and yeah you know to think about what they want with their life really like to kind of get their head above water I guess and realize that you know it's more than about food isn't it really kind of getting them to really connect with their deeper selves even at that very early stage oh absolutely absolutely yeah I mean there's quite an interesting systematic review released in 2016 and it looked at 24 studies on intuitive eating. So, you know, that's quite significant. We think about research and their results didn't really have much to do with food, but what they found is that the participants had greater body appreciation, greater life satisfaction, unconditional self-regard and that sense of optimism, positive emotional functioning, greater motivation to exercise when they focused on enjoyment, and then, of course, less disordered eating. So yeah, you're exactly right. It's when I say the clients, when we, we begin working together, I really focus on the fact that it's not so much about food. This is the way you think and feel about food. And that can change. Mm, yeah, no, empowering. And it is quite a momentous task, isn't it? I think, you know, when we sort of talk about it here quite rationally, rejecting diet mentality, and I guess you and I, we've done a lot of work on this. For us, it seems a bit more straightforward. But it is very hard, isn't it? I sometimes think, you know, if you've been, it's almost like you've been following a religion and I've got nothing against a religion. I'm just using that as an example, but you've almost been like indoctrinated with thinking a certain way for so many years. And it's very challenging, isn't it? To begin to start to kind of change those beliefs and think about things in a different way. Mm. Oh, I completely agree. I completely agree. It's so challenging. And at the same time, when we think about dieting and being stuck in that rigid thinking, it's very black and white. And what I often say to, to clients who are struggling with that idea, because it's majority of clients. So if you're listening and nodding your head, you're not alone. It's really thinking about, I ask my clients, do you want your autonomy and independence back? And they're like, yes, please. <laughs> that, that's exactly what they want, right? Because when we think about diet culture and following rules and following meal plans, you've literally been robbed of your autonomy and your independence. And so it's almost reclaiming that on this journey and understanding what do you truly enjoy? What makes you happy? As you mentioned earlier, what are your core values? How can we begin to brainstorm values-aligned actions that you can begin to bring into your life? And so, yes, it's overwhelming. And at the same time, I think it's really inspiring to think that there is another way to think about this and, and to approach our relationship with food. And with that comes confidence, freedom, autonomy, independence, and inner peace at the end of the day. And, you know, us humans, that's all we want. We want to feel the sense of peace. And so, yes, it's hard work. I would always say as well, when we think about intuitive eating versus dieting or living with a restrictive eating disorder or being very much stuck in disordered eating. Think of intuitive eating. Actually, let's go the other way around first. Sorry, let's think about dieting. So dieting in the short term is easy, right? Anyone can diet. Anyone can lose weight for a couple of weeks. Sure. But over the long term, it gets really hard. And over a period of your life, you know, what is it costing you physically, emotionally, mentally, financially? And it can feel easy in the short term, but in the long term, how is it making your life worse? How is it making your life harder? Whereas intuitive eating is the other way around. <laughs> when we first started intuitive eating, it's really, really hard. However, 
the longer we do it, the more we practice, the easier it gets. And so it's just changing your expectations from this is not a magic wand. This is not going to be a quick fix. I know we live in a society where we click our fingers, press a button, we get things, you know, in an instant. But this is really about developing your relationship with yourself, making a better life for yourself, improving your relationship with others around you as well, connecting deeper with others, finding people who are like-minded. And the list goes on. So yes, it's hard, but when I think about what you gain, I don't see how anyone would say no, <laughs> if, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you've sold it very well, Cassie. You've put that across very well. I feel very inspired. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and I think particularly like when you're talking about these kind of values, like kind of autonomy, independence, freedom, you know, being spontaneous. Yeah, that is really what we all want, isn't it? And like dieting does not give you that. It really doesn't. So it's like holding that bigger picture, isn't it? Of where this Mm -hmm. is all going and yeah, staying focused on the values. So I want to ask you a bit more as well about the satisfaction aspect of when you're working with the principles. I mean, I think again, it's wonderful the way you're kind of focusing on helping people to sort of tune in internally to think about what is a satisfying eating experience, but also to think about what is a satisfying kind of life experience, I guess, as well in that kind of bigger picture of self-care and self-soothing. You know, do you find as well, because I know a lot of my experiences, many people that are suffering from eating disorders or disordered eating, that sort of self-care aspect that pleasure kind of aspect of their life is often really distinctly lacking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. It's almost they have this narrative that they've decided that they don't deserve pleasure, they don't deserve satisfaction. And it's not just prevalent in their eating experience, right? It's prevalent in their friendships, their romantic relationships. Maybe they're in a job that they don't enjoy as well. So yeah, it shows up in all different elements for sure. And so that's why when I start working with clients, when we think about healing their relationship with food, I'm not a therapist, I'm not talking about relationships and careers and all of that. But what I do find is that when we begin to sprinkle in satisfaction into the food choices they're making, that has a ripple effect into other areas of their life. And they begin to have lots of these aha moments, you know, independent of me. They're like, oh, wow, I know what that can feel like. I'm recognizing what pleasure and satisfaction feel like in my body. You know, equally, when I begin working with clients who might begin with some body scans and just really tuning in to understand, you know, how does anxiety show up in your body? What does that feel like for you? You know, whatever it might be, anger, sadness, guilt, shame. Where do you feel it? How intense is that feeling in your body? Are you making space for that feeling? Equally, when you begin to live in this values aligned way, what we, what we call, you know, popping pleasure into your day with your values, how do you notice that makes you feel? So let's say, for example, you make your morning coffee a bit of a ritual, you know, how does that feel when you are doing something nice for yourself day to day? Where does that show up in your body? How does that feel? Do you enjoy that feeling? And then how do we begin to just notice and observe these sensations in our body as they do pop in here and there because they do slowly over time begin to pop in. But yeah, Harry, you're very right. It's a very common theme amongst all of my clients. And so it's really helping them challenge some of those beliefs. Now, of course, if they have a history of trauma, for example, that does get a teeny bit more complex and really working quite closely with therapists and psychologists to really and they bridge the gap there. But I'm talking, you know, individuals who don't have a history of trauma feel, you know, very much safe in their body. How do we begin to tune into those sensations and just notice with awareness? So Cassie, I know that one sort of criticism sometimes of using intuitive eating principles when people perhaps first, you know, perhaps experiment a bit themselves or embark on the journey, they say that, oh, I just want to kind of eat, you know, junk food you know not that I come myself very very much from a place of food neutrality so I don't really like that term but I guess it's something that it's often you often hear people say don't you that they kind of feel like you know they're not in a good place with food they have no sort of on and off switch and they feel that their eating becomes very hazard so I just wonder if you had any advice for anyone listening who maybe has kind of dipped their toe in the water with what perhaps they thought is intuitive eating but it hasn't gone so well and perhaps you know, where they might be wanting to start if they found themselves in that place before? 
Yeah, of course. It is the most common question I get as well. So I'm so pleased we're talking about this. Look, I really understand because the overarching principle here is trust. You know, maybe we don't trust our body. Maybe we don't trust that we'll be getting another meal tomorrow. And this is all a byproduct of deprivation. You know, the drive to eat is really profound. It can feel really, really scary. Now, just before I dive into habituation, I think it's important to talk about the emotional relationship we have with food. There was a really interesting study published, gosh, it was about eight or nine years ago, I believe in 2013 in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. And it looked at 35,000 men and women and compared those who dieted versus those who never dieted. And they were looking at the relationship between dieting and emotional eating. What the researchers found is that the more there was dieting or food restriction, the more there was emotional eating, right? Which makes sense knowing what we know. When you're dieting, you're in survival mode. Your body is not getting the nutrition and the needs. It needs to fundamentally survive every day. Plus we're layering on emotional distress. You know, life is hard enough, but here we are dieting, counting calories, you know, micromanaging every spoonful that goes into our mouth. That's stressful. And so as a result, the food seeking just gets higher. It's a compensatory reaction to physical restriction, but also psychological restriction. And so we need to really kind of bear those two ideas in mind that, you know, dieting and restrictive eating is a predictor for out of control eating, compulsive eating, emotional eating. Now, when someone is dieting or following a food plan, we don't have what we call this habituation effect. So habituation means that we get used to something and it loses its appeal after a while. So think of this out of the context of food. Let's think about buying a brand new dress. You love this dress. It's your favorite. You add it to your wardrobe and you think, gosh, what did I used to wear before I had this dress? I love it so much. You know, I've definitely had this this experience myself. I wear the same dress every single day for two weeks and I love my dress, take photos in my dress, just absolutely love it. After a couple of weeks, I would think, okay, let's wear something else. So I'm not going to throw the dress away. I'm just going to add the dress to my wardrobe and it becomes an item of clothing that I sometimes wear. So this is the same with food. When we are first introducing something that we have once forbidden, it's exciting. Of course it is. That like the first time you fall in love, it's magical. You're floating on kind of cloud nine. It's like, wow, it's amazing. After a few years, that novelty just wears off. Now, there have been many, many, many habituation studies, especially in food. And what we need to work towards is unconditional permission to eat all food. And one of my favorite quotes is by Daniel Gilbert. He's a psychologist. And he says, wonderful things are especially wonderful the first time they happen, but their wonderfulness wanes with repetition. (laughs) And so this is where working with a professional like myself or yourself, Harriet, and working towards food exposure, we need to expose ourselves to our fear foods time and time again. And I say to my clients, there's no way around it. The only way To truly make peace with food with achievement is food exposure. You can't avoid it. You can't go around it. You can't go over it. We have to go through. We have to give ourselves full permission. Now, that's where it can get scary. And that's where the out of control eating can happen. It sometimes does. So having a plan with a professional or with yourself is a great place to start. So if you're at home, you're doing this by yourself for whatever reason, you haven't decided to engage in therapy yet. That's okay. You know, make a list of your fear foods. What foods do you forbid? What foods do you feel guilty around? And then from there, make a plan, go for the lowest hanging fruit. So if chocolate is on your red list and every time you have chocolate, you binge and you have a control and it leads to this downward spiral, maybe let's leave that for a moment. Let's go with something a tiny bit easier that you don't feel so out of control around and begin to plan it into your day every single day and notice your experience. And so the whole, I guess, point of this is understanding that you're learning a skill and to learn a skill, we need to practice. 
but I've seen it in my lived experience. It's very much prevalent in the research that through food exposure, we begin to habituate and the food becomes less appealing. So if you're someone who's tried this, kind of dabbled their foot in it, great. It's amazing. I'm really pleased. It's going to take a bit longer than a couple of weeks. So give yourself permission to be in that messy middle part. Give yourself permission to make mistakes, to perhaps eat a bit more than you might feel comfortable eating. Just really understand what feedback the body is giving you and continual exposure every single day. Yeah, well, thank you, Cassie. I think you explained that really well because I think it is overwhelming, isn't it, to begin with when you suddenly start to think about having unconditional permission to eat it can just feel like where on earth do I start but like you've said in a way you need to kind of go for the lowest hanging fruit break it down have a plan and I'm just wondering as well like what kind of tips do you give people as well in terms of if they are if they eat something that really feels very scary and then they're kind of wanting to eat more and more and more of it like what do you support them with what tips do you give them to help kind of manage that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if they're feeling like out of control with, with their yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, you're a human. Okay. Welcome. You have most likely, <laughs> well, welcome to the club. First of all, you have most likely been depriving yourself of this food for a very long period of time. And that in those, honestly, in the first couple of days, I tell my clients, I expect you to feel a bit out of control initially, but the difference this time is that you're doing it with achievement. And so what that means is that we're taking away the mindless piece. You know, a lot of the time when we're eating our fear foods, we're often just grabbing and going. We're eating mindlessly, so we're not paying attention. And so if you're looking to practice this at home, we want to make sure we are in what we call the rest and digest state, not that fight, flight or freeze response, right? So if you're someone who feels like you're super scared, it's really overwhelming, you're planning your fear foods by yourself, I mean, well done, kudos to you, it's amazing. We need to look after ourselves and recognize that we're working with a human body. And with that, we need to be in a really resourceful state. Because if we are in that fight, flight or freeze response, the eating is going to remain chaotic. And so my advice is to give yourselves a couple of moments. So plan the food, plate it out, get it ready, do what you need to do, and then take a seat, ground yourself, put both feet firmly on the floor, let your arms just flop down, relax your shoulders, and just tune into your breath for a few moments. Just notice the inhale, notice the exhale, take some deeper breaths, just really begin to soothe your nervous system So you're coming down into a more resourceful, present, relaxed state. So you're better able to tune in with the experience, better able to tune in with how that food is making you feel. Because if you're doing a million things at once and on the phone and watching TV and the to-do list, go, 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 it's going to be a very chaotic experience. And so this is, you know, another piece I often bring up with my clients is the conversation around responsibility as well. And when you are looking to heal your relationship with food and your relationship with your body, how are you making space for this in your life? And if you are constantly in this chaotic overdrive, highly anxious state without having the tools available to you to do the breath work, do the mindfulness work, to really ground yourself so you're ready to practice these fear foods what are you expecting of yourself? You know, so this is where the conversation around taking what we call committed action and responsibility when it comes to making peace with food is a really important conversation piece here as well, because it's possible, you know, we can really work with the body to ground ourselves. We can use the breath to soothe and calm the nervous system. And as a result, we are more capable and more resourceful to begin to challenge those fear foods. So that's what I would say. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you. I think some great tips there, Cassie. And I think it's such a common experience, isn't it, to see people really in that fight flight state. And, you know, particularly struggle with an eating disorder or disordered eating, it's sometimes really hard to access that self-soothing place. But like you're saying, in a way, by taking responsibility, like making some sort of committed action towards 
being more in that place, you know, you're going to start heading in the right direction, aren't you? Just baby step by baby step. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And if you feel like you're someone who like perhaps private therapy is not accessible to you, you know, that's a whole other conversation that we need to have, but there is a lot of free resources online, you know, go onto YouTube and start YouTubing yoga nidras, guided meditations. There's a bunch of apps that get that provide us with meditations. You know, how are we bringing mindfulness into our life? And honestly, it's a really, really important place to start because if we aren't, I mean, you know, and again, it's a journey and we all are very different and we come with a very different history history, of course, of course. But if we aren't working towards expanding that toolbox and working towards understanding how our nervous system responds and making space for our emotions, it's going to be very challenging towards an intuitive relationship with food. And so it goes hand in hand, you know, really making space for breath work, for meditations, the self-soothing techniques. Maybe it might be a grounding exercise. Maybe you're someone who really enjoys smells. Maybe it's lighting candles, having diffusions going. Maybe it's listening to music. Maybe it's pet therapy, so being with animals and playing with dogs in the park. (laughs) Maybe it's having fluffy socks or really fluffy or a weighted blanket. There are many different ways that we can utilize different techniques that are relevant to us personally to begin to soothe our nervous system so we are better able to challenge ourselves with these fear foods. They're so helpful, Cassie. Mm -hmm. So Cassie, could you tell people, please, sort of where people can find you and about Embody Health London? And also if you had anything that you wanted to share sort of coming up for, you know, at Embody Health. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, we are recording this episode mid-May, aren't we? So gosh, what's going on? So summer's coming up very, very exciting. And we do work with clients on a one-to-one basis to help them heal their relationship with food and body. And intuitive eating is only one element of what we do. So we do integrate intuitive eating with emotional freedom technique, neuro-linguistic programming, acceptance and commitment therapy, yoga, mindfulness, Pilates, we have a very, you know, very well-rounded holistic approach to see what resonates with people. So you can work with us on a one-to-one basis, or you can work with us in a group basis as well. So our group coaching program, the next one starts on the 28th of June. Applications will open around mid-June. So do stay tuned for that. You can follow us for more information and updates at Embody Health London underscore on Instagram and Embody Health London, which is LDN on TikTok. And of course, our website, embodyhealthlondon.com. Come and dance with us. (laughs) Come say hi. Drop us a message. We'd love to chat with you. Oh, well, thank you, Cassie. And I'll make sure I put those links in the show notes. Yes, amazing, Harriet. Thank you so much for having me and having this space to talk about intuitive eating and hopefully spark people's curiosities around a different approach to recovery and healing their relationship with food. So thank you for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Cassie. It's been a really sort of informative episode and I know the listeners are going to get so much value from it. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. See you soon. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation and do go and check out all of Cassie's info in the show notes. And there's also a link to Mindy Gorman-Plartz's Freedom Promise if you're interested in getting that discount. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm -hmm.